Alrighty, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Motown Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan, and as always, I'm joined by the co-host, Jimmy. How are you doing today? Doing good. Awesome, awesome. So we've got a couple of announcements today for the show, and the first thing I wanted to announce is that we're kind of... I guess rebranding in sort of a way. We're not like changing logos or topics or anything like that, but we're just going to kind of start focusing more on injuries and stuff like that because as we've mentioned on the show before, Jimmy here is actually a medical doctor and he has graduated from the University of Michigan with his medical degree. Go blue. Once again, we just thought that we'd kind of, once sports start opening up again, that we would just kind of focus maybe once significant injuries happen and especially to like Lions players and stuff like that once everything gets going. So we're just going to have a little bit more, we've already kind of been doing that a little bit and discussing how prior injuries will affect players in the future and stuff like that. So we just thought it'd be a little bit more fun to have kind of a specific focus on the show as well as we're still going to cover the normal Lions topics and discussions, everything like that as well. So not much is going to change. But then also one more announcement is that I have recently started writing for the Sideline Report. It's kind of a, it's a fan-driven website. It's more of opinion-based and stuff like that. They're also owned by fansided.com. It's just kind of a little subsidiary part. But um, my first article was posted last Wednesday. If you haven't checked it out, there's a link to it on my Twitter page. And that's where all future ones will be linked. And that's obviously on their website as well. But in my article from last week, I looked at which second-year Lions player is going to have a breakout year. And I know you kind of read it, Jimmy. What I guess, what were your thoughts on the article? And possibly, who do you maybe think might be breaking out next year? Yeah, that was uh, you picked Will Harris as the guy. And that, was, that sort of came out of nowhere because I didn't <laughs> really consider him because he didn't really do that much last year. But when you actually look at his snap count, it's 58% of defensive snaps last year, which yeah. is a much higher number than I expected. He really took advantage of Quandre Diggs getting traded and just took a lot of snaps last year. Compared to mm-hmm. the other defensive players uh, that were starting, like Tracy Walker is at 73%. So he's played a lot last year as a rookie. So I yeah. think that was a great choice uh, as a guy who's already got a lot of experience and hopefully can take the next step and start adding some of those impact plays to Mm -hmm. his game. Exactly. Yeah, I wanted to kind of, obviously, I thought everyone would just automatically assume T.J. Hawkinson or Jelani Tavai because they kind of had, again, they kind of stood out to the average fan a lot more. But, again, I just kind of wanted to go with someone who I thought, again, could possibly still be a breakout player and be the best rookie from last year. But you never know. It's all just speculation at this point. Yeah, he's going to be a starter. I mean, Tracy Walker is our number one safety, but Will Harris is slotted to be a starter along with uh, Durang Harmon, yep. who we got as a trade. Mm-hmm. And we run three safety sets all the time. We did that a ton last year with Tavon Wilson. So, yeah. yeah, Will Harris is going to get a lot of opportunities this year to show what he can do. Mm-hmm. And plus, as I mentioned, just having another veteran like that with, in Duran Harmon to learn from is great. Learning from Quandre Diggs and shifting over to another veteran like that is just great for the knowledge and experience in the game. We've also got some breaking news this morning. It has been reported that Lions owner Martha Firestone Ford is going to be stepping down as the president and her daughter Sheila Ford Hemp will be succeeding her. And as stated in her statement, uh, Martha Ford is very happy to keep it 
in the family, keep it a family-owned business that her husband started over six decades ago. Including the Lions, she will continue to be one of only eight females in some form of leadership role in the NFL, which I do think is interesting. Again, I guess before we jump into it, what were your initial thoughts when you first heard this? As a fan, it's really hard to know because the Ford ownership is so private and secretive. They don't do press conferences. They're not like Jerry Jones. So it's hard to know who's really calling the shots in the ownership group. We know that Martha Ford's been the official owner, but Sheila Hamp has been there the whole time. And we've mm-hmm. seen her on in the War Room videos. We've seen her on pictures. Yeah, She's been involved with the team ever since Martha was in charge since 2014. She's been in team meetings throughout. So uh, we're not going to know if there are any actual changes in ownership philosophy for a few years mm-hmm. and that's yeah this morning once i heard this news i was trying to scramble and gather as much information as i could and obviously there's very little just spilling out as we go most of what i found honestly was from twitter and a lot of the beat writers not just one or two but a lot of them were pretty much saying that they expected this to happen and that she has been more of the actual decision maker and as you mentioned she's actually physically been there in the war room and she is more kind of physically active with the team on and off the field more than Martha was. She's just literally kind of been the face of the team and Sheila's been more active in owner meetings and such and stuff like that. So like you mentioned, I really don't think there's going to be that much of a change in philosophy and how the team, the direction of the team's going. I think the one question the pretty much all fans are first wondering is one, are they going to either sell or move the team, which is the first question a lot of fans ask. And second, what is going to be the continuation plan for Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia? So again, depending on how they do this year, do they retain them or do they try to bring in a new regime that they can claim as their own? But again, as you mentioned, she's kind of been in the decision making as she's been a part of this journey with Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia for this time. So I don't really personally, my feelings, I don't think she's going to sell the team. Like you said, anytime soon, I think she's just going to continue to be a part and it's not going to change too much. If they were to ever sell the team or do any big changes, I think it wouldn't be until Martha passes away because again, they just kind of wouldn't want to upset her and kind of, she wants to keep it in the family and everything like that. But even after that, Again, until she's either old or I'm not sure, but I just personally don't see them selling the team. They have such a dedicated fan base and they make money whether we win or lose. So they know that they should just keep the team here. Yeah, I feel like with the Fords, I love them as owners because they are not interested in selling the team or moving the team. They're very committed to Michigan. Yeah. Uh, you just look at Sheila Hamp's biography. I, I don't. I didn't know a single thing about her before today. So... I'm looking at her biography on the Detroit Lions website. Mm-hmm. So she's been in Michigan her whole life. At the age of five, she began attending Lions games at Tiger Stadium and Lions training camp at Cranbrook. Jeez. Uh, she's was very good tennis player in high school and won a Michigan State title. I'm not sure if that was an individual or team title. Wow. But then she went on to play varsity at Yale, which is super impressive. So yeah. she's got a sports a strong sports background, so she knows about competitive sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that the Fords uh, built Ford Field. Uh, I believe they did it privately without any public support or public funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's my recollection of things. So they've been very committed uh, to Michigan and to Detroit. This family has been. Uh, 
Sheila currently lives in Ann Arbor with her husband and mm-hmm. uh, a family. So they live here. She's growing up here. So we can rest assured that the Lions aren't going to be moving out of Michigan anytime soon. Probably mm-hmm. never, unless the <laughs> team actually gets sold to Jeff Bezos or whoever right someone who's not from originally from detroit so exactly i don't see why you would again like you mentioned if you were born and raised and spent your whole life following a team in in that city why you would ever want to either sell a team or move it to another city yeah and i think the history of the fords being michigan suggests that it's not all about money for them Mm -hmm. they might make money with the lions but that's not the main thing that they're about right they care about the lions they care about the state they probably make a lot of money through the ford (laughs) motor company so uh, i think the lions is probably a hobby for them where it's not a thing where if they start losing money they're gonna pack up and move to st louis or san antonio or whatever city is offering them a lot of money to move there exactly I think you could say that, honestly, about every NFL owner. Again, unless it's sold to like a Jeff Bezos-type person or someone who's just a multimillion. But that's the thing. All these owners are multimillion or billionaires, and they have already made their money somewhere else. They don't purchase a team to make money. They purchase, I mean, in some cases they do, but majority of the time. Yeah, in some cases, and we've seen this fairly recently, uh, St. Louis Rams moved to L.A. to really expand their game there and Mm – have a bigger imprint and San, the biggest one is san diego yeah moved just a couple of hours north to la because san diego the city wouldn't give the chargers any money for their stadium mm-hmm. so that was a huge decision just almost entirely based on money yeah so uh, it's there are still some owners who are going to be motivated by money and motivated by how well the city treats them and how, what kind of benefits the city gives them Exactly. And the Lions owners, I don't think, are susceptible to that. They don't. That's not a part of who they are. Yeah, I completely agree. And this is again a little off topic, but it goes way, way back. Obviously, because the Detroit is known as Motown. That's where we get our name, Motown Sports Talk, and they, it's from the Motor Cities where they get that. And obviously, Henry Ford started in Detroit, and that's where all of this came from. And obviously. There, there's a lot deeper history with the Ford family than just growing up here and watching sports here. Again, there's a lot deeper meaning for owning the Ford Motor Company and being known as the Motor City. Yeah, one thing I wanted to add about what you said was that Sheila Hamp has probably been totally involved in decisions the past few years and maybe even been the person actually making the decisions, especially that uh, statement last year about we want to be competing for the playoffs and Matt Patricia and Bob Coomer staying for another year. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this was going to happen at some point. I'm wondering if the whole COVID pandemic played a small or maybe a big factor in the impetus in doing this transition right now, because with COVID, it most severely affects people in their 80s and 90s. Those are the people who die at the highest frequency from covid mm-hmm. maybe it's because they're in nursing homes where their viral load is high maybe it's because they have comorbidities aka underlying medical issues who knows why but martha it's probably not smart for her to be around the team much if at all this year yeah so it might have just been a perfect time to say okay i'm, I'm not even going to be able to be at training camp or be at the games or be involved so 
Sheila, let's go and do this transition now. It just makes sense. Yeah, that does. And again, that's something I never even thought of too, honestly. And I know Martha Ford is at a lot of those training camps because I've been to a lot of the open training camps that they hold. And uh, she's always out there on her little Ford uh, golf cart. I see her out there all the time roaming around, talking to random players and Matt Patricia and all that stuff. So she has been active and she is usually out there. And who knows, maybe I'm like you just mentioned, I'm sure maybe not this year, but maybe in the future she'll be back out there and you can see her out with the players and out in training camp and stuff like that. We'll move on from that. And actually last week now at this point, um, Daryl Bevel and Corey Undlin have done their I believe second press conference since since they've joined the team and they just kind of discussed the end of the whole training camp program how they've been kind of some of the stuff that they were doing kind of how they had some some of those strong meetings that they were talking about discussing race and all that stuff and they've kind of they said that they've developed as a team a little bit more and they've all kind of bonded over stuff like that. So it's all good stuff to see in the offseason, even though they can't be physically together, they can still connect over the internet and find ways to progress as a team, I guess. One of the biggest things I noticed too is Daryl Bevel kind of confirmed that Jamal Agnew is going to be a wide receiver now. He's transitioned completely. Again, I just want to touch on that subject for a minute because I just find it so hard to... Th- to really realistically see him making the team with how many wide receivers we got. Again, I think we've discussed on every single episode. We have Danny Amendola. I don't know why I started with him, but Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Marvin Hall. Um, we signed Geronimo Allison. We have Travis Fulgham. We signed or uh, we drafted Quentin Cephas. And now we have Jamal Agnew. That's eight wide receivers. There's no way they're all going to make the team. And I know one of the quotes Daryl Bevel said is that, when you have a player like that, you have to get the ball in his hands. So I know he's a talented. Again, we've watched him. He got an all-pro as a punt returner. I'm just kind of rambling at this point, I know. But, um, again, I guess what are your thoughts now that he's confirmed a wide receiver? Yeah, I've said this before, but anytime there's a massive change in position on a player, it's not a good sign. It mm-hmm. shows that he failed at his previous position, and this is a last-ditch effort to save his career. Uh, it's interesting that Golden Tate – actually tweeted him afterwards to offer support and help <laughs> in this transition because I had mentioned that he may play the same kind of plays as Golden Tate, these short little quick passes, mm-hmm. little end rounds, little quick flips, just get him in space. Golden Tate thrived in that kind of system. Mm-hmm. Jim Bob Gooder and those plays, and it was just a star player for us. Uh, Jamal Agnew could potentially do that for us but you're right with the wide receiver room so packed we usually only keep five at most six wide receivers yeah. so it's gonna be tough for him to make the team one guy i want to bring up is the best returner of all time devon hester mm-hmm. he started out as a defensive back also mm-hmm. and he failed in that role and transitioned to an offensive role player with the bears yeah he made occasional plays, but he really did not have any significant success. And this is the best returner of all time. So we can't really have high hopes here for Jamal Agnew. Maybe he can make five to ten plays for us this year if he even makes the team. That's probably the ceiling for what he can do. That's kind of the big biggest question, though. Like, if we do keep him on offense, is he going to be a prominent wide receiver or is he just going to be that kind of role player that we might use in, like, jet sweeps or, like you said, slant routes, quick passes, stuff like that? The guy that Bevel brought up was Jason Huntley. And it's Uh sort of interesting that he talked about Jason Huntley and Jamal Agnew because they're 
both probably competing for the returner position. Exactly. And whoever wins the returner position might be the guy who makes this team. Uh, Jason Huntley was drafted in the fifth round, same round as Jamal Agnew. <laughs> so almost like a direct replacement. Bob right. Quinn loves these specialists in the late rounds, and I, I like that philosophy. I sort of agree with it. He picked Jimmy Landis, the long sniper, in the sixth round. That didn't work out. <laughs> people make fun of it now. But I totally understand the thinking because those fifth to seventh round players, they rarely make any kind of impact on the team. Mm. Oftentimes they don't even make the team. So if you got a defined role for a specialist that has a high chance of making the team, it really makes sense to pick a guy like that in the late round. So I'm suspecting Jason Huntley drafted in the fifth round was drafted primarily as a returner first and foremost. That's sort of what Bevel implied in the presser. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we'll see how it goes in training camp and the preseason games, uh, who looks better in that return role, because that could be the decision. Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, Jamal Agnew has made an all-pro as a returner in the thing, so it's going to be yeah. interesting to see if he does not make the team in that special role. And obviously, that's what I just looked up to confirm that this obviously is his last Jamal Agnew's last year on his rookie contract. So if he doesn't fill out or if he doesn't even make the team, it's not going to be a huge thing. If it's if we cut him, I think it's only a dead cap of sixty four thousand right now. So if we cut him before the season starts, it's not going to be much of a loss. But I don't know. Again, when it goes back, I just see it hard to, for him to make the team as a wide receiver. But again, if it's he's does again in preseason, we'll have to watch if he does win the kick returner role maybe he'll start off half the year maybe like again maybe he'll start off the year returning and then jason Huntley will kind of maybe move push him out of that role and get more and then maybe he'll get cut halfway through the season but we'll just have to wait and see at this point yeah one thing that might help jamal agnew is the nfl just announced that they're considering increasing the pass to squad from 12 to 16 mm-hmm. which i've always thought was a great idea i've always been amazed that the nfl will just pull guys off their living room couches to play an NFL game in a few days. <laughs> right. Yet, whereas other sports have these minor leagues, like MLB has a huge minor league system. NBA has the G League. NFL has nothing like that. They mm-hmm. used to have NFL Europe, so there's a little bit of a league there, but now they have nothing. So I've always wondered why they don't drastically increase these practice squads so that there is a stock pile of players just ready to go that is ready to play an NFL game at any moment. Exactly, so yeah. If uh, Jason Huntley ends up being on the practice squad, there, there would be room for him there, and Jamal Agnew maybe has a better shot of making the team in that case. And that's an interesting point, too. You just pointed out real quick the practice squad. I've Again, I always thought it was kind of weird, too, when you have so many different positions on your team and there's possibility for injuries and all this stuff. It's hard to be able to keep at least one or two people on the practice squad and then obviously you have to consider they're actually there to practice you can't just have one player for each position you have to have enough to be able to practice and be able to compete against in other players in certain areas so it's kind of the fact that it's such a small and they're just increasing even to just 16 i think maybe even 20 might be more like a better number i agree yeah someday i could see it go up to 26 30 i mean why not just just have a nice backlog of players that you can uh, access at any point exactly yeah because again that's something the point you brought up I never really even thought of before this that the NFL doesn't really have kind of 
the like minor league system. And then, I mean, you could look at something like the CFL, but even then they're under contract. They just can't jump over to the NFL. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing. I've never really thought about that either. So maybe if they do increase the practice squad for each team, that's kind of, again, if you maybe do 20 to 25, something like that for each team. And I know player teams can sign other players from their practice squad as well. So again, if each team has about 20, 25 players or something like that, that's kind of sort of maybe a little minor league, but yeah, just like you said, people who are actually preparing on a weekly basis to play the NFL game instead of just being brought up off their couch and playing in a week or two. So Right. That's an interesting concept. And the extra two roster spots going from 53 to 55 this year might help Jamal Agnew make the team as well. Yeah, that's a good point too. But my big takeaway with the Corey Unlung and Darryl Bevel presser is mm-hmm. that they both have excellent hair and amazing <laughs> beards. I mean, that, that is the number one takeaway everyone should take out of those press conferences. Uh, Corey Unlung looks like he should be starring in the most interesting man in the world commercials. <laughs> uh, and I thought Daryl Bevel was bald because I, I just see him wearing hats on the sideline the whole time. But right. like said he comes out with this full head of sculpted hair. He may have <laughs> a stylist living in his house. I don't know what's going on, but these guys are just on top of things. So if hair and beards have any effect on wins and losses this year, I mean, we're looking at... A floor of thirteen and three. We could easily go nineteen and zero. That's our ceiling. Here. That's what I like. That's what I like to hear. We got a style now. We just need Patricia to keep the beard and slick, slick back his hair. Maybe style his up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He could uh, use some of that Daryl Bevel stylist over there, <laughs> the Patricia household. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so again, was there any other big takeaways that you had from the Bevel or Undlin conference at all? Well, I was really looking forward to hearing Corey Unlum because he's our 2020 defensive MVP, future MVP. <laughs> uh, so I was hoping he was going to talk about pressure in the quarterback or blitzes or anything, but he dodged all those questions yeah. and basically didn't say anything during the conference. He's following the role models of Matt Patricia and Matthew Stafford, which is to say a lot of words but not actually say anything. Exactly, yeah. It's kind of how, again, they're just doing that Patricia – or I'm sorry, the – Patriots way that they kind of don't really speak too much. I mean, even uh, we've said this before, even before Matt Patricia was here, Jim Caldwell was sort of that same way where he really didn't give you any snippets of information. He just kind of came out and said what he had to say in his press conference and took a couple questions and moved on. So, And I don't blame any of these guys for doing that. So it's not a criticism at all. That's what they should be doing because the press is just like voracious carnivores. If anybody says anything controversial, they just – print a huge headline and make a big deal out of exactly. it to get clicks. One wrong sentence, and you've got a whole yeah. media storm. Yeah, it's a firestorm. Yeah, take a few words out of context, and, yeah, you got a problem on your hands. Exactly. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't seen anything from the new special teams coordinator, Brandon Combs. I'm not sure if he did a press conference or not. No, I really don't know or haven't heard anything from him. Yeah, I'm kind of, I don't know why. I'm kind of interested to see, kind of hear from him and his philosophy, I guess, for special teams. Like We keep saying we're not sure what's going to happen with our returner, whether it's Jason Huntley or Jamal Agnew. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how we do, because special teams is really important, even though people kind of forget about a lot. If you are not, if you don't have a good special teams unit, you're not playing well, then that can change. That can be a couple of game-altering plays right there. Yeah, I agree. And we got a new punter this year. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Special uh, teams is going to be a real interesting zone to watch. Okay, so last thing 
we're going to talk about today. Um, we'll just touch on this real quick. The ESPN released the NFC North All-Decade Team, and there was five Lions players who ended up making the team. We have, obviously, Calvin Johnson and Adamican Sue. Those two are kind of no-brainers. Adamican Sue, at his time, pretty much his prime of his career was with the Lions. That's when he played his best. And then we also have Darius Slay, Glover Quinn, and Sam Martin, who made the All-Decade team as well. Um, Darius Slay again is kind of kind of no brainer. He made it. Glover Quinn again. I it a little bit surprised me. I, again, I know he was the interceptions leader in 2014. That was when our defense was, I think, second or third in the entire NFL. So again, and Dominican Sue is on that team as well. But then Sam Martin too. I know he's been a, a good punter for these last few years, but I didn't think he'd be the best in the NFC North. Also, when I guess I look around the NFC North at punters and stuff, I can't really think of or name another one that's been that great consistently. But I guess, again, what are just your initial thoughts on the five Lions players or the players who didn't make the list if you thought they should? Yeah, I agree with you about Glover Quing and Sam Martin. Maybe Sam Martin just made it out of default because there weren't any other great punters out there. Yeah, Sam Martin had a few good years for us, but... Uh, ever since he injured himself on the beach <laughs> kicking a seashell, <laughs> he really was average to below average. So not really a, a big-time punter there over the decade. Yeah, uh, Glover Quinn was great for us, for, but for him to make the all-decade team at safety with just four years of play with us uh, is a little surprising. Yeah. Let me just double-check how many years he played with us. Uh, looks like 2013 to 2018. That's six. That's actually six oh, years. Oh, yep. Okay, so he actually played six years with us. So that's actually more than I thought he did. Yeah, he was a good line for us for a long time. He was mm -hmm. elite for a couple of years. He had, he had one of the, he has some of the best hands I've ever seen in the safety. Yeah. He would just pluck balls out of the air. He had wide receiver hands. Uh, a lot of one-handed catches. So I think that's one of the, maybe underrated parts of being a defensive back in the NFL is just how good your hands are because yeah. those are game-changing plays. If you can catch the ball instead of just knocking it down, that's just the, that's a game-changer right there. Yeah, and that's kind of the running joke. That's why they say if you can't catch the ball or if you don't have good hands, that's why you play defense in the first place. So if you can find a, any good defensive back who has any type of good hands or can catch them, just trace the ball on the air and find it, that's – that's a huge benefit, like you said. And that was what was so great about Darius Slay, too, who also made the all-decade team. Just fantastic hands, fantastic ability to track the ball in the air, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was tied for the lead in the league in interceptions last year, I think so? Uh, a couple years ago. Yeah, last year or the year yeah, before. Yep, he was tied for first in the league. So, yeah, we've had two Lions lead the league in interceptions in the last decade as well. So, And both those guys made the all-decade team. Glover Quinn had he had seven interceptions one one year in 2014. That was the year again. Like I said, we played. That was the we were number two or three in the entire league in defense, and that's the year we lost to the Cowboys in that yeah. dreadful playoff game. I think I've stated on this show before, and I'll state it again. I think till the day I die, we were robbed, and also that was probably the best chance the Lions had at a deep run when we had. All-time great Calvin Johnson and Dominican Sue Stat like we we had Golden Tate yeah. in that team too, and when he was still in his prime, like 
that team was so loaded all around and we got yeah. robbed but <laughs> that's completely off topic again well i mean we in that game we started out so strong we jumped out to 14-0 lead mm-hmm. we were just stunning the cowboys but i mean you do have to give the other team credit it's it's not all about the refs i don't like to blame things on the refs too much or anything like that uh the teams have to overcome that. We had a chance to stop Tony Romo in that last drive. Yeah. Sam Martin had a chance to not shank that punt. Jim Caldwell had a chance to go for it on fourth and one instead of taking the sort of a easy way out and punting it. So there were a lot of chances that Detroit could have had to win the game on their own. Yeah, I so know. Even though I really dislike the picking up the flag and Des Bryant running on the field all that stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to pin the game on that. Yeah, you have your opinion. I have mine. <laughs> I don't want to get into it, but excuse me. There was just so much that, like you even mentioned with Des running on the field, there was just so much. So I'll call it BS that happened in that game. And again, I know we did have a chance after that, but when you have a type of penalty like that, that just blows the wind out of you. And I've been in games like that, not obviously not to that caliber in playoff NFL games, but I've been in games where a certain call just deflates the entire team and it's hard to get motivated after that and even when you're in football and it's it's hard it can just be again be team deflating after that so but yeah that's again we could sit and talk we could sit and spend a whole episode talking about all the times we've been screwed over by different plays and calls and all that but all right so it looks like that's going to do it for us today well thanks everyone for tuning in again and we will see you next time